0: Hi, welcome to Brex in the Black, where we talk about finance for operators. We've got our CFO here, Michael. Michael, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Chris. So today we're going to talk about stock options. Stock options are all obviously very relevant for all startup companies. So Super
1: relevant. That's the money, Chris. We love
0: that. Yes. So why don't we talk about stock options and how to do them right?
1: Sure. So stock options are a feature of the compensation package in most startups, and for many people, they're a huge part of why employees work for startups. And stock options are a financial security, they're, they're a financial instrument that basically give employees and others that are granted them the right to buy, to exercise, a, they basically give a right in the future to purchase a share at a specific price.
0: And why do uh, most startups do stock options as opposed to stock
1: grants? So there's two reasons. One has to do with taxes and the other has to do with compliance. The tax reason is that when you are given a share, um, so if you're just given a a share of stock that is taxable upon receipt. Mm -hmm. And so if you're given a share of stock and it's taxable, it, it's 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 non-cash income because a private company right you cannot go turn around and sell that share so imagine i'm giving if if let's just say company a gives you 100 shares at a dollar you get 100 dollars of compensation the us the irs would would deem that taxable income so you'd have to pay taxes on that 100 dollars but you don't have any cash income to off- offset that because you can't sell your shares so that's the problem that in options say you only pay taxes on options when you actually exercise those options. So many right. so the sort of historical view and most popular thing to do would be you'd hold on to your options and then exercise them when you have liquidity. There's a second piece which is the compliance piece which is after you have a certain number of shareholders that are so people who actually own stock not options. Option holders are not shareholders. They have the right to buy shares but they don't actually they can't vote those shares until they're exercised. Mm-hmm. So the government will say that once you have a certain number of shareholders and a certain dollar amount of of common shareholders that are not what they call accredited investors, so people who make either $200,000 or have over a million dollars in non-primary residence net worth, Mm -hmm. those people, once you have a certain number of them, you have to have certain disclosures, and it's almost like being a public company because you have to file all these documents. Does that make sense?
0: Yes. Could you explain that just a little more?
1: Sure. So there, okay. So there's there's point one, which right. is you, if you give people shares, they have to pay taxes on their yeah, tax income, and the, and the shares aren't terrible. Point two is the government is trying to protect shareholders from res, for people who are not considered accredited investors. So unsup- call it in in true words, I'm not making a comment about these people, but unsophisticated unsophisticated people, just random employees of startups. Right. Once there's a lot of those out there that are shareholders, the government says after, it's really the SEC, mm-hmm. after you have a certain number of these people, you need to start filing reporting, so things that look like an annual report, showing your financials, disclosures about your company, you need to start telling people, at least the shareholders, more information. I Many see. companies don't want to do that because they don't have the infrastructure or they don't they want to keep their numbers private and they don't want to start telling, for example, former employees, mm-hmm. right, that could be shareholders, right. have the right to receive that disclosure They could be then turning around and sending it to the Wall Street Journal, a story you and I have seen before. Yes. So that's the point. And then one other minor point without getting in, you know, I don't view myself as a personal finance advisor, but one of the other things options allow people to do is they allow when you can sort of slowly exercise your options and then you can take advantage of long-term capital gains, meaning you could hold those shares. You could exercise them before an, o- an IPO, pay a little bit of taxes on that gain, and then um, because you're really only paying, and and then you could there's just basically different structures within options that we can get into ISOs versus NSOs and these things. Uh, but there are different ways that employees, if they do things right, can take it can have tax advantaged uh, receipt of shares more so generally than RSUs, RSUs or restricted stock units is kind of just the, the standard, what you asked, like send giving people options. I'm sorry, giving people shares. Mm-hmm. If you just give people shares, that's usually considered RSUs. That's what Google and Facebook do. They just mm-hmm. give employees shares. Those shares are perfectly liquid. They're taxable upon receipt, and they sell them.
0: Gotcha. So going back to point number two really quick.
1: Yes. You like point two, don't you? I do
0: like point two. Um, I'm also curious about the tax implications for point three. But oh, I bet you are. Yes. I you are. So... For point two, the triggering with the SEC or whatever only happens for shareholders, which are only people who actually have the shares. Correct,
1: not optional. It's called Rule 701. Okay. So for those in the know, they'll know that you could, or if you're interested, you, you, Rule 701 is sort of the, is the way to find out more information about this.
0: I got And that there's just like a percentage trigger or it's something? It's more of
1: a dollar threshold of securities that you issue as a company. So it'd be- That are not multi- going to- Correct. That are going to non-accredited investors. Gotcha. So there's a song and dance that you do, more of a dance. And the dance is as you issue these shares and as people start to redeem them, right. you're always trying to prove that the, ma- you know, if you're somebody like me- Right. You're trying to prove that the majority of the people that are common shareholders are in fact accredited investors. So yeah. I spend a lot of my time, not a lot, but I mm-hmm. spend a, you know 30 minutes of my time a quarter when we issue new shares to make sure that You're, we're, we're below, showing below. that a lot of the recipients of these shares are in fact accredited investors because that continues to make it so that Brex does not have to disclose this information.
0: If you have options worth more than $200,000 and you exercise them, does that make you a accredited investor for that year?
1: No, if okay. you were to sell shares worth, see, worth more than a million, it would, or if you were to receive income of more than 200000
0: I see, but this isn't classified as income. Cor- it's
1: it's, well, so it general. is income, right. but I th- I believe it is salary, I see. but I, I could check that. It's actually gotcha. a good question. Gotcha. We should follow up on that. Gotcha. Um, so the point, but I think rule 701 and the definition of if accredited you want to know investors more are the thing to, to, look, to, at. to look at. Um, but it is a good point. It's almost tautological. And I think it could be actually in that in that case. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem is, is that remember options, it would have to be vested options that were exercised, right? Because you would right. have to exercise those options to receive that income. Right. But that gets into a few other points. 409A, vesting schedules, all the good stuff. Yes. So let's talk first about vesting schedules. Silicon Valley standard is a 48-month vesting schedule with a one-year or 12-month cliff. What does this mean? This means that the standard deal is that you receive options for that vest over a four year period, starting on the vesting date, starting on the grant, uh, no, starting on the vesting date. And vesting means? And vesting means you are earning these shares. So they begin vesting, and that date is up for that date is up to you, uh, is a conversation between you and your employer, right? Then there's also the grant date. So the grant date can come after the vesting date. The grant date is typically the the date the board approves the shares. Usually the board has to approve the shares. So you could start, you start vesting on July 1st. The board doesn't meet until September. That's when the board approves and the board approves the price at that point, but you've already started vesting. That's fine. Mm -hmm. So That's important. And what it means is that if you started July 1st, 2019, July 1st, 2020, you then earn $1. Fourth 25% of all the shares at once. That's the cliff. Right. Okay. One thing about pricing, and this is important you can never backdate options. That's a major no. What is backdating? Backdating means putting the price at the options lower than the prevailing price at the time at which it's approved. So going back to this July 1st example, right. right? So you start on July 1st, share price. Share price is $3 $3 it goes up to six by the time in August even though you vest you started on July 1st By the time the board approves the shares it has to be at six. Oh, no. you cannot backdate an option Right option backdating It's a total. No, no It doesn't just sound bad? sounds like the kind of thing people go to jail for right you don't do it right. Okay, and so the, the what you have to do in that instance you can always make somebody economically whole by issuing more shares. So if that happens, there's ways to deal with it that are legal, but you can never backdate an option and say, oh no, when they started, you have to have approved the option at the time the prevailing price was the price that is on, is the exercise price, right? And so the point is, is that you can, can, vesting date, you can work with, it can be when the person actually started performing services to the company. Mm -hmm. But on the date of approval and the grant date, you have to issue them at the prevailing price. So more on the structure. So options have a, what is known as a strike price in the start. And the strike price is the price that you agree basically is the price that you have the right to buy the shares at in the future. Mm -hmm. So once you have vested into your shares, so after the cliff, right? So uh, on month in month 12, at the end of month 12, in the beginning of month 13, you could buy 25% of your shares of your grant and you can buy those at the exercise price. That exercise price at that point hopefully is lower than the prevailing market price. Mm -hmm. What determines the prevailing market price and the exercise price you ask? Good question. So what determines that is what's known as the 409A valuation. 409A is an IRS, um, part of the IRC, the the Internal Revenue Code. And basically, this is a way that private companies use to price their common shares. Preferred shares in Ventureland usually are, it, the price of them is obvious. There's been a recent round at which they were priced. Common shares, you usually you know, what happens is some third-party valuation service, whether it's software or a person, many are indifferent, but third-party valuation services will determine what the price of the common is And it's implied based on the preferred and other factors like how far along the company is. Because remember, in standard uh, Silicon Valley style capital structures and documents, once a company goes public, common shares and preferred shares have the same price. Mm -hmm. And so what these valuation firms are trying to say is what is the appropriate discount in common shares for a factor for things like liquidity? how far you are from an IPO, yeah. but also things like governance, right? Mm-hmm. Preferred shares have certain protections. For example, they have often liquidation preference rights in the time of a bankruptcy yeah. and all these things are getting priced in. we cover that on different podcasts. But the point is the 409A determines the common stock price. That is the strike price. So your strike price is what, that's what the options are issued at. And that's the 409A and this vendor, this third party service, tells you this is the common price that you're going to issue your shares at.
0: I see. And how does that tie in with the, you know, you're raising money from venture capitalists at a particular valuation?
1: So when you have a new valuation, you have a new implied common valuation. Remember it's implied because you're typically not having shares traded at this price. So what happens is when you raise a new round, say you were series A, you raise series B, Now you have a new preferred prevailing price, which means you have to go out and get a new preferred, a new um, 409A. And then your options change. And so back to the scenario we discussed, that's where the differences between vesting versus grant date start to matter. Okay. How so? Because theoretically you could have started, but before the board approves your options, they could go up in price. So there's a lot of drama around this topic typically at you know people on are lo- on the yes exactly so there's a lot of back and forth about this people are always worried you know what's the price um you know that my options are at and it's, and it's hard for companies because you can't really guarantee because you don't you know the fundraise the winds of fundraising will blow as they blow yes. as we know And when they blow, sometimes they happen and there's always, you know, a company that's growing is always hiring people. And so someone's always going to be kind of in this interim area and how you handle it as a company, you know, is sort of up to you. But as I mentioned, one of the ways people often do it is they will issue more shares to make the person economically whole.
0: Do you think that that is the best way to do it? (sighs)
1: So part of me is like, let the vagaries of the market be as they will, because you know, I, when I went to my first startup, I sort of had this happen to me and I felt like, I guess, okay, let me rephrase. When you think about, if you're going to work at Google, right? When you do that, you realize that the share price will be as it will be, right? Share price. Like if you go, if you take a job at Google, you know that the day you start, you start vesting shares, share price could soar, share price could tank. You're sort of taking that risk as an employee. So in startup land, you go to a company, you know that they could raise, I mean, you sort of are aware of this risk, but the problem is, is that it's such a big piece of comp that I I do think the best way that company should handle it is to make the employee whole. Unless, the way Brex does it's sort of interesting. What we do is once it's become public, we say, Mm -hmm. as soon as we've announced this round, you are now accepting this job, assuming this is the value. Mm -hmm. If you happen to be caught on the, wrong end of it because you started and then they raised, but your options weren't approved. We will make you home. Mm. And I think that's the right way. I think so, yeah. Yes.
0: Uh, so before you mentioned ISOs and NSOs, so what are those and the differences between them?
1: Yes, 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 yes. So ISOs and NSOs are incentive stock options and um, non-qualifying stock, stock option. The main difference is the tax treatment. And so there's always this thing about not wanting to give tax advice So I will do that as well. (laughs) So NSOs are kind of the most standard form of option. And the thing about NSOs is that they're sort of the base case. And they're typically, uh, they can be given to employees and to advisors. So people performing services to the company. Mm -hmm. And the thing about so NSOs, think about them as as the standard. ISOs are a special type of option that have a special tax treatment. ISOs are generally good. They're generally used for executives, um, and there is a limit. There's an annual limitation um, that a dollar amount that a person can receive of options. That's one of the of ISOs. That's one of the restrictions on them. I believe that uh, that amount is a hundred thousand. So it's it's the dollar amount of the 409a, so the exercise price times the number of shares that person is. You cannot receive. More than a hundred thousand dollars annually um, of ISO of ISOs. Okay. But what ISOs do is that in remember back to NSOs, standard option, the way it works is as follows. When you exercise those options, that is considered a taxable event according to the IRS. So if you exercise mm-hmm. NSOs and you exercise them at a dollar and the prevailing price now is $2, you owe a dollar of tax... You owe... You have made a dollar of income for every share that you exercise. And then that dollar of income is taxed like ordinary income, the same as your salary. So so if your tax rate is 30%, you're paying 30 cents of taxes on every dollar you exercise. Is that making sense? Yes. An ISO doesn't work that way. If you exercise an ISO, you do not owe taxes on the portion on the difference between the strike price and the prevailing 409a at that point. It's a, it's a it's an incentive stock option. You have a limitation on how many of those you can receive right. and you are subject to what's called the alternative minimum tax, meaning if you have too much of that income you're likely to pay taxes anyway, but it is a tax advantaged structure. I see. So ISOs are typically good for people that are earning Lots of who are, you know, a lot of times they're used for executives because they're getting lots of shares.
0: I see. I would have thought they'd be used for employees because there's a hundred thousand dollar cap. They are, so
1: they're off. I mean, so it depends on the company, but I mean, in general, my opinion is ISOs are good to give. I see, and you should give them. Um, one thing about early exercising though, and this is important, and this is a little bit of a nuance, okay. This is a trippy, tricky topic, but NSOs, ISOs, so NSOs are what you typically use when you offer employees the chance to early exercise. What is early exercise? Early exercise means you buy and exercise all your options up front. A lot of people want to do this. So you basically pay for them all four years of them day one. And what that means is that when you're exercising them, they are definitionally at the same price as the 401k that prevails because you've exercised them right as they were granted. Mm -hmm. So, but you haven't even vested them. So if you leave early or you get terminated, God bless you, whatever, what would happen is in an early exercise, if let's just say you pay $1,000 up front, the company will pay and and you only work three years, the company pays you back $250 because you're not vesting into those last 25% of shares. And you have to take the deal. And you have to take that deal. So the point is that, but what you've done is you've definitionally exercised shares at the same time as you were granted them, which means that there's no delta between the exercise price and the prevailing 409A, no taxable income. In that circumstance, you'd rather have NSO than ISO because ISOs, that magical tax treatment that they have, only works if you hold them until two years. So ISOs have two limitations. One we already talked about, $100,000. The second is—is is that on the exercise price or the? That's on the exercise price, right? So you cannot receive more than a hundred thousand dollars of exercise price times units, than um, in a year of no. ISOs. That's that's limitation one. Limitation two is that to have a qualifying disposition, meaning to get the benefits of this ISO this structure that's so fabulous, mm-hmm. you you can only get the benefit of that in a qualifying disposition, which means you can't sell ISO shares until at least 24 months after they were granted. And so because of that, because ISO has extra limits, if you're going to not benefit from the tax piece, which is you're going to actually early exercise your shares day one, you might as well early exercise NSOs, which don't have those restrictions because the one favorable thing about ISOs is not relevant to you anymore. So people do not understand this. So just replay this podcast until you do. The (laughs) point is that ISOs are good, but, and NSOs are the standard options, but if you're going to early exercise, yeah. you basically don't benefit from the main benefit of ISOs, so you shouldn't take the extra limitations, right. just get NSOs. I know this seems pedantic, but this is an important topic, and nobody will tell you the truth on this topic, right? Well, That's right. what we do at Brex and the Black, because because people will give you legal jargon, and you know they'll tell you, oh, blah, blah, blah. I don't know why. It's just, it's taken me a long time, many years as, a, as sort of in finance. I, I haven't been a CFO for that many years, but I been in in and around startup finances for many years and it's very hard to get to this level of truth. So I hope this is
0: helpful. Michael, thank you so much for coming on to talk about stock conference. You're welcome.